Folks, this is a great review that I just love about Fun Parts. And because it's kind of fun to do, I want to read it in my Fun Parts After Dark voice. Hey there, listeners. This is a review titled, Thank You, All Caps, Five Stars. This podcast is pivotal in the total deconstruction and reconstruction of faith. It gives so many enlightening and thought-provoking ideas and scenarios that help you to discern your way through years. I'm talking years of misinformation. <laughs> oh, that's such a great review. Thank you, you, whoever got, this person is. Thank you, Maria Rachel Smith. <laughs> Maria Rochelle Smith. Sorry for reading your voice in a very sultry Randy accent. Voice. And Randy. But really, you guys help us help you <laughs> help us by leaving a review anywhere you listen to this podcast that'd be great from milieu media group this is fun parts an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced, there must be more. With your hosts, Latifa Alatas, Ashley Lusick, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Becky Patton. Fun Parts! Okay, so I'm just going to pose a question for the table. Okay. Thinking of movies, entertainment, what was your earliest exposure to sex? However you would interpret that question. Batman and Robin. Okay. Wow. Tell me about that. Like, well, Batman because and Robin Batman together? And Robin? Well, kind of. <laughs> As a couple? But there was no. a lot of sexual tension a lot between of tights. those two. A lot of tights. It's the, it's the tights. Adam West. Are you talking it about the Adam the West tights version? that Robin wore, and I could mm. see that bulge, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, it was like, I was a kid. But, but it was curious. like, oh, well, my gosh. I was so I mean, He was so He young. was, too, but he still had a bulge. And it was like this. <laughs> Were you attracted to the bulge? I mean, I've always been curious about that. Like, that's just No, I'm actually more a butt man. But it's... Yeah. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm a butt, I'm a butt woman okay. yeah. in the sense that yeah. like I butts. like, well, Rick, I like how, Rick has a nice oh butt. my gosh, he does. And that's yeah. just what I'm attracted to. It's wonderful. In fact, I have a great butt story. Yes, please. Oh my gosh. I was at church. Mm. Have you heard me tell oh, this? This is such a good Oh my gosh. This is the best place to discuss this. Yes. And there's, before the service started, they put everybody on the people that were part of the service, they would stand in the circle and we'd pray together. And I'd gone in there with Rick and we were praying. We were getting ready to pray. I turned my back for something, turned back around and he had on khaki pants. And so the prayer circle's going on. <laughs> I reach down and start caressing his butt. Just, I mean, nobody <laughs> knows what's going on. I like to have sexual touch with my husband in places where it's, it's kind of fun. And I'm <laughs> caressing. And all of a sudden, I look up and I see my husband across no. the circle. <laughs> no. No. And one of our pastor's husbands was standing right next to me. No. And he looked down at me. He goes, that feels really great. <laughs> But I think it'd be better if it was your husband. <laughs> That's a perfect response. That is. I was gonna say, did I he like he kind lean of in? It like that too? Yeah. That feels really great. He did. 
and I don't really want you to stop. But, <laughs> but you should stop. But I'm just I that I am attracted to male butts and mostly my husband's, but you know, I mean that's a well, thing. Butts and bulges. They are, but it was like that was my first. So anyway, that's my first I mean, I was a kid. You're such a wordsmith. I yeah. Batman and, and Robin. Batman and Robin, because it was like I mean, I was in the sixties. Well, sure. It was in the sixties and my gosh, it was like that was there's a bulge there. What is that? Oh, spandex. You know, spandex was it was green. Yeah. <laughs> The spandex, I hope not. The spandex okay. goes, I don't know what the yeah. color of life. I never got to see more than that. But yeah, yeah, it's good. Mm. How about you? I don't know the first, but one of the episodes of a television show that really impacted me was I was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, like huge. Anything supernatural, I'm still very much into. And sorry, spoiler alert, but the show's been out for a really long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the whole series kind of sets up that Buffy, who is a slayer of vampires, falls in love with this vampire who got his soul back named Angel. And he can't kill people because his soul came back in his body. He was like cursed, you know, so he has to like drink like mm -hmm. blood from hospitals or animals or, you know, he's basically like a veggie vampire. It's but gross. anyways, I know. Long veggie story short, vampire. there's all this sexual attention built for season one and you just want them to be together so badly. So they end up finally having sex for the first time. And it's like this, crazy, awesome scene and all this chemistry is happening. And, you know, the way they show it in television is just people like rolling around in sheets and the most you see of the woman is her naked back, right? Mm -hmm. And there's just all this like passion. And then the moment they're done having sex, he loses his soul because the curse was that like, if he ever finds true happiness, he'll like lose his soul and be like the most murderous vampire of like all So suddenly time. this lover turns into a vampire raging. that becomes her like arch nemesis because <gasps> she's the slayer of vampires and now he's going on like murderous rampages and somehow that just communicated to me that the moment you get happy yeah it's gone baby <gasps> yes. which honestly i that's a hard reality for me now <laughs> not like the buffy but like it's just the other shoe's gonna drop yeah kind of scenario that's so i brutal. really have thought about that a lot <laughs> since i watched it as a formative teenager. yeah it was formative but the sex looked really awesome until he lost his soul. <laughs> so there was no down cuddle time afterwards. No, I'm it guessing. was like they like kind of do the, and yeah. you can tell they're like so happy to be together. And all of a sudden he's like, Ugh! he like his body contorts because his soul is being ripped out of his body. Um, as it does as it happens and well, honestly it could be a reflection on Puritan culture. Like, well, you know, orgasm means little death. So there it is. There soul death. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> we just took a turn. From Batman yeah. to Buffy to but Soul Death. Buffy Vampire Slayer, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I have a couple of memories, and I, I shared this with you all off mic last night, but I had this thing when I was a kid where if I were doing something I wasn't supposed to or experiencing something or if I was getting in trouble, whatever, I would get really dizzy. And so there's a few things that I remember making me really dizzy as a kid. One of those was I remember finding a VHS tape of the movie Fright Night. It was like this 80s horror movie. And I knew I wasn't supposed to watch it because it was a horror movie, but I put it in. And one of the very first scenes is this woman like opening up the curtains of her house and, and she's topless. And it was the first oh. time I'd ever seen. And I was just like, oh, God, I'm dizzy. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. really sweet. The same thing would happen, though, with certain music. So Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard always made oh, me yeah. dizzy and a little bit Randy, nauseous. Randy, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was another one. So MC Hammer, I was mm. a huge MC Hammer fan. As you should be. <laughs> As you should be. <laughs> oh, I just saw you with the pants. I never the had dance. the pants. I always okay. wanted them. 
but he had a song on his biggest record called Soft and Wet. And oh, MC. <laughs> the lyrics, wow. over and over wow. and over, they're singing, I like them soft and wet. And I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it meant something that I was not supposed to hear. That's so, how I felt about LL Cool J's doing it and doing it and doing it well. Oh, wow, I was like, was... what are they doing? <laughs> and how are they so great at it? <laughs> yes. But I like they it. I like this so song. Well. They're great at their like craft. Yeah. yeah. Those are early memories for me of just That's getting amazing. very dizzy. That is so yeah. great. The blood pressure rises, yeah. the sugar level drops, whatever. Well, because the blood was all rushing to other parts of your body. Right. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> and now I'm a butts and bulges. Fun butts and bulges. <laughs> uh, so I was born in 1970. In 1983, uh, our family moved from Southern California to Waterloo, Belgium. My life in Southern California was centered around our church, Christian school, very, you know, that was the bubble. But when we got to Belgium, like my friends and I, seventh grade, we would take the train to Brussels to watch movies, right? And so I remember that was my thing. Like we would watch, I mean, I think I saw nine and a half weeks in the theater, um, but even like St. Almost Fire. Ooh, that's a good one. And they're in the 80s, even funny movies like, you know, Fletch or yes. Animal House, whatever, there was gonna be a scene of women in the shower. <laughs> Topless 100%. women in the shower. And that was like the move that all those movies made. And I remember just going from this, again, bubble where I never would have watched any of those movies or gone to any of those movies to all of a sudden being, it was just all was out in front of me. And I loved it. I was like, <laughs> this is awesome. Oh my gosh. I love that. Especially nine and a half weeks. I don't remember when that came out, but I mean, that is like, I think they're having sex in that movie. <laughs> I don't think that, that was. I mean, anyway, <laughs> like, whoo. Made an impact. Yeah. And it was like, you know, three seventh grade boys oh go, you know, watching this, and then all That's of a sudden just. so awkward. <laughs> so, what are we going to do next? <laughs> Popcorn, anybody? <laughs> Like, oh my gosh! I yeah. would like to stay and watch the rest of the credits, please. <laughs> yeah. just, can we just? Can we it's just because something stay? is happening and I don't have a big oh, enough sweatshirt. I can't seventh move. Seventh grade, it doesn't matter. You could be eating a hamburger and I all of a sudden, know. hello, Here hello. We go. Yeah. Okay, Ashley, what about you? I'm not quite sure how to transition from that. Well, to... <laughs> pure grass-fed beef. You're going to try. Yes. Bulges, Wisconsin. Um, yes. No, I remember Dances with Wolves. Oh. oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes, Kevin, Kevin Costner. Yeah. There's that a, scene in the TV. He's got a great butt. And yeah. we we well, had a um, it was a butt double. This large bookshelf and it had a drawer with all the movies in and there was this one movie that I couldn't watch and mm. it was Dances with Wolves and it just yeah. had like this aura around it. Yeah. That it just felt like it was going to be this really big I don't know what I had in my mind, but I remember when I finally got to watch it I was like this is actually beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And what's so bad? Like, because they really don't show much of anything, really. I think there's, again, the back. It's the back side, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it was so much more of the do not touch kind of the mystery and that kind of thing. So then when you when I did mm. actually see it, it was like, that was it? You I know? will say watching him cut a peach in The Bodyguard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it did something to me. Bodyguard was unbelievable. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> cut yeah. a peach. Do you remember that scene? He's just like cutting a peach with a knife and eating it. Just and slowly. then he's throwing knives because like, yeah. he's an expert yeah. bodyguard. <laughs> you know what, though? He was like love scenes for him. For Like I remember – I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's a movie with him and Madeline Stowe. 
And Madeline Stowe is like the wife of this Mexican mob boss. And he comes down and Mm. helps this guy. And then like he and Madeline Stowe are starting to... How can they not? And they have this scene where they're doing with lemons they're oh juicing making, lemons juicing lemons it's and fruit then against fruit. you know oh. he like one of them comes Kevin around and fruit. touches the oh my gosh and oh, it's like it's like the ghost yeah. clay <laughs> moment oh my gosh. except with i've always that, wanted to do I've that actually did something that. to me too i remember I that, that that wheel throwing patrick swayze and demi moore and it was i remember i did a wheel throwing class when i was in graduate school and i just like every time i was throwing a pot poorly i was just like where's my patrick where's my patrick swayze? Swayze? can, yeah, can someone just come behind me and just just, just dirty dancing yeah. also did something i mean mm-hmm. i don't know well i mean dirty dancing was, yeah that did something mm-hmm. it did something okay so I, the reason i ask is yeah. so that we can get into a conversation about influences right. our sexual influences Mm-hmm. So early on, one of the things that we know how the brain actually fires is it receives in these inputs. And what it's actually doing is it's trying to find a place to store them. So new inputs, like you were saying, those three seventh grade boys, you're all having a shared experience, but mm-hmm. you're receiving the input into your brain and it's trying to find a place to actually store it. So even like the first time you saw the naked woman, your brain, if it hasn't had that before, is looking for like, where does this go? It's trying to find resolve. So when the brain actually receives a new input, it's what it's actually looking for is where does this belong in my brain? And when we don't have something, what it's doing is it's creating a new dendrite. And so what I think happens so often is when things come in that are scary or new or we don't, especially we don't have a language around it. I want to say that's one of the things that the brain, not knowing what to do with it, kind of creates a deeper path of, of, because it's startled, we're taken out of what we call the window of tolerance of how we can actually receive something of things that we know to be just normal part of life. And so it moves us into this fight or flight or freeze is what it does, either hyperarousal or hypoarousal. And so what ends up happening oftentimes, I think, for especially children, is they jump into their hyperarousal and then they go into the total freeze of hypoarousal. And it's as they're doing that, their body is trying to assimilate something. So that's actually, an in, it influences how we go forward. Like imagine the difference if you'd been sitting next to someone, uh, I'm talking to you, Luke, in the sense that sitting next to someone and like a, a fatherly figure that could go, oh, I bet you've never seen that before, have you? Hmm. Yeah, and that stirs something. That's mm. a woman's body. Her body is beautiful. Yes, but her body is meant to be respected. I mean, to have somebody just even a, there again, that's a one minute conversation with you. I mean, to be able to help you understand as your sexuality is actually arising and growing and things like that. It's like, even with seventh grade boys to be able to go, yeah, you know, it's really enticing and there's something so beautiful. And to be able to name sex as something that it is something, but it's so beautiful when it's between people that really respect and value one another. And it's hot and it's fun and it's pleasurable to be able to put language around it for you because when you're in that free state, you can't. And that helps to bring you back into your window of tolerance. And I think even Ashley, I'm hearing yours and I'm thinking, how beautiful would that have been for your mom to say, I really want you to see this, but I want you to be able to see it when you can hold it and not, I want you to have a little more understanding. So we're going to put it here and I'm going to sit down and watch this with you at some point because I want you to get to see the beauty of this. As I'm thinking about it, I think it years later, even just recently thinking back to that and how understanding like, no, there was something really beautiful about what was happening there. But at that Mm -hmm. time... I didn't have language for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
And, you know, another film that was very influential to me was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which probably nobody in this group has actually no, no. seen. I don't know. I haven't seen Jack it. Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Anyways, it, but there's this element in it. It was an R-rated movie at the time, and I remember that I was 13 years old. And my dad went to see it, and he came home that day, got me, and he says, there's a movie you have to see, but I have to see it with you. And it's a story of protection. It's a story of somebody who's on the fringe, actually, and he moves in, he's in this mental hospital, but there's, it's such a story of love at the core and caring for your brother and listening to people's story and seeing people's pain and being present to it. And one of the things I think my dad saw in me very early on is I knew how to sit with people in pain. Hmm. I mean, I was just like, oh my God, my dad's taking me to an R-rated movie. And he sat next to me the whole time. He had his arm around me. And when the movie was done, while the credits are rolling, I remember him saying, honey, there's a lot of pain in this world. And the reality is we get to decide how we're going to respond to it. Dang. And that became a reference point for us. Like something would happen and he would refer back to the movie. And there's sex, there's violence, there's huge vulgarity in that. I mean, it's everything that a 13-year-old kid shouldn't see, but yet partnered with somebody who could help me define it. It was pivotal to my, I want to say, even into this exploration of sexuality and spirituality for me. Mm. Because that formed something in me. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the dendrites to be able to put that anywhere. But I had somebody partnering with me. And that's what I think is, who are the people, where are the places, what is influencing us, and who are the voices that we're actually listening to? Mm. In all of our stories, all but you, Steve, we were alone when we experienced it. Yeah, You were with your buddies, but I, I don't know. Did you guys talk about it? No, no, I'm sure we didn't. Yeah. yeah. And that's what my big concern is, is so many kids are learning about sex through media or through their friends. Well, I, sure. I, I want to say one more story about that because in 10th grade, I mean, this is such a cliche locker room story, but those cliches come out of reality, right? So we're sitting in the locker room. I was on the varsity basketball team and this one senior was just holding court and he asked us all like, so, you know, who knows what the inside of a vagina feels like? Wow. And I didn't in 10th grade and you know, so people are like, you know, and then he said, okay, well, how many girls have you slept with to someone? And then they shot back, well, what about you? And this guy was a very good looking guy, kind of stereotypical big man on campus kind of thing. And he thinks about it and he goes, oh, probably about a hundred. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> now, amazing. I'll give him double digits probably, you know, mm-hmm. but a hundred and the rest no. of us were just What's his like name? Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> I, yep, I was on the varsity basketball team with Wilt. Uh, it, no, but like, and that's another influence where it's like, all of a sudden, it really was about conquest and who's better than who, and who's done this and who hasn't done this. And I don't remember particularly feeling any like shame for not, mm. but the environment was definitely filled with exaggerations and lies mm-hmm. and also a kind of swaggering. You know, you think about a mm-hmm. 17, even this guy who I think probably did have some experience, you know, but really, you know, this guy going to hold court, right? <laughs> but when you're just in that environment, you're not thinking like, oh, bullshit, you know, you're, <laughs> you're kind of going like, whoa, wow. 
Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I got some catching up to do. Yeah. <laughs> what the, you know, so that was formative too. Yeah. I, I mean, I, when I think about peer pressure essentially being one of the influences, I mean, I, I think back to like late elementary and even junior high. When I was a kid, if people asked you if you were straight, that had nothing to do with your sexual orientation. It had everything to do with like, are you a prude or not? Like, uh, like, do you, how far do you go with right, girls or, right. or with guys or whatever? And so that was a thing that you aspired not to be was straight. And if someone asked you if you're straight, yeah. you're like, no, I'm not straight. Like I'd, I do stuff. Yeah. I would totally do stuff. I didn't kiss girls. I was 16 years old, but I a hundred percent back then we'd be like, I'm not straight. No, I'm not straight. See, that was the thing. Like for dudes, like you did not want to be prudish, no experience. You, that would have been. Whereas for women, of shame. being virginal is being desirable. And like, if you had a reputation for not being a prude, you were a slut yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, it was scandalous. Yeah. I actually remember in eighth grade. Nope. I was in sixth grade. I went over to my girlfriend's house. She had a brother in eighth grade, or maybe he was a freshman. And we walked into the house and him and all his buddies were watching some porn. And it was a woman doing fellatio. That's mm-hmm. the ter- right term for it, yeah. right? And I saw it maybe 10 seconds or less. I mean, I remember seeing it and it took me a few seconds to register what I yeah, was seeing. what's happening. Because yeah. I had never seen a penis before. So I didn't quite even understand. And I was, what, 12 years old? And I mean, I can still see that scene in my brain. Mm -hmm. I can recall Mm -hmm. the exact image I saw for 10 seconds. And I looked away and I, I was trying to understand what I saw. And my friend was like, Oh, he and his buddies are just watching porn. And I was kind of horrified because I just didn't understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't see a penis again until I, I was an art major in college. And so we drew, we did figure drawing. Mm -hmm. And I remember being so nervous to look at it that I took my glasses off. And I just like, let it be blurry. And my art prof came around the table. Her name was Mary. And she goes, Latifa, you know, I love how you did his head and the shape of his body. But she's like, you're, you're missing an essential part of the person. And I was like, well, it's suggested. This is what, what is I that told her. blurry part? <laughs> what is the cloud with a lightning this bolt? Is an interpretive. Yeah. Is the that a fig leaf? <laughs> did you draw a fig leaf? Which is, and I felt really embarrassed. Yeah. Because I was like, I was 18 and nobody else seemed to be embarrassed. And then I just realized, like, it's just the body. Mm -hmm. And I kept my glasses on or my contacts in, you know, for the rest of my figure drawing classes. And I've come to really love figure drawing. Obviously, I haven't done it in a long time, but I think that that experience when I was 12 made me afraid Mm. for some reason of what I didn't understand. And nobody, and my family wanted to, I mean, my dad was Muslim, so he's definitely not talking to his girls about that. And I didn't talk to my mom about it. And all I got from church was, you know, sex is bad until you're married and don't touch anything or do anything. And that's the extent we're going to talk about it. And so it just created this unknown fear. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took an art class to like, made me realize there's no shame about the form. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually beautiful. Yeah. I think the irony to that is I went to a Christian college mm-hmm. and was an art Major. Were you really? Well, under graphic design. Oh. But those classes, they everyone was fully clothed. Like the figures were they were wearing spandex? No, like no <laughs> Yeah, were there bulges? There were no bulges to even draw? No, no cleavage jeans, either, right? Literally jeans and a football jersey. That's disappointing. How do you draw a yes. figure only you're drawing clothes? Only in exactly. America. Football yeah, yeah. jersey seems but right. But think about like talk about like let's amplify the mystery of the body when we're not mm-hmm. even yeah. I remember that being like such a hot topic and all these things and like we were more saintly. 
you know, because we didn't expose someone, mm. you know, and just that. So just to hear you say like your experience with that, like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I missed, I missed out. Mm-hmm. And it you wasn't know? sexual for me. Like all of a sudden you start to look at the form mm-hmm. and you realize, like, I love drawing women as much as probably even more than I mm-hmm. love drawing men because, and I love drawing full figure people because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, you look at the history of Renaissance art, it's always full figured females. Oh, it's full figure. Yeah. And everything. And it's even, beautiful. yeah, it's gorgeous. And so it really calmed me down. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was a senior when a younger student came because I was I led worship all through college for Campus Crusade for Christ. She came up to me and she said, "You know, I'm I'm in my first figure drawing class. Like, what did you do?" And I told her my story, and I was like, "You're going to be fine. If you're really uncomfortable, you can drop the class." But like, or take off your glasses. Yes, yeah, or take off your clothes. No kidding. <laughs> oh no, I was just like, it's really. I was like, it, for me, what it did was it helped me realize that the body's very beautiful. And I felt like I'm appreciating what God has designed. And there's nothing sexual about it. Well, but I want to say it, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. about the body being sensual. I agree. But I think we've been taught that sexual falls over in this category and we holiness falls away over here in the other category. But I think there's something really important about being in your body and recognizing just because I am married mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm dead no. physically. Yeah. There are moments, and we, Steve, you were talking about on one of the other episodes about we feel this spark and we assume that it has to end in physical connection. And no, what is it? There's a beauty about just feeling this spark of sensually being alive and aware yeah. of our body and where tingling is happening and where burning is happening. And it's like, it's not wrong to feel that. That's how our body's made to respond. I mean, it's made to, your body was made to respond to the beauty of those breasts being revealed to you. But the reality is you didn't have anybody to help you with what do I do with That's what I mean. Like I think about the porn experience for me, it was Mm -hmm. unknown, unexplained and scary. And I, it was new information versus a class where I'm like, I know it's coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. My professor came over and just talked me through it. Mm -hmm. Like it was safe and I wasn't in shock and I didn't not understand. I think Mm -hmm. part of the experience for me though, was that it, before I'd been exposed to anything sexual, I had already received the messaging that sexuality was inherently wrong, morally wrong. And so I think that's where like I would get dizzy because I was very concerned as a kid with being a good boy. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to be a good boy. And Mm -hmm. so when I was exposed to something or I encountered something that made me think like I'm doing something wrong, Mm -hmm. even though I had no, no other information about Mm -hmm. like what I was experiencing, like that was the experience for me. It was, oh my gosh, this is bad. I don't know what this is, but I know it's bad. I already knew that going in. And I think that is like a perfect lead in to the third pillar that we talked about in episode one of the idea that sexuality and spirituality are intentionally intertwined. I'd love to hear where that language came from for you. Where it really came from was, I want to say Celtic tradition. There's a book that Philip Newell wrote, and it's called Echo of the Soul. And when I first started reading this book, one of the things that happened for me is the subtitle of the book is The Sacredness of the Human Body. And it was like, I began to be like, just when I, like in the other episode, I shared about the fact of I hated my body and I wanted to actually love my breast and I didn't know how to, I had to actually engage and recognize that where I was at is I hated something. I hated something about the human body. And the reality is if I hate something about the human body, what I'm saying is I hate what the creator created. And so 
when I picked up this book and I started, uh, it was one of the books of many that I've read in the Celtic tradition. There's such a sacredness to the human body. There's a sacredness to nature. There's just a sacredness of how I treat you impacts me. There's just this interconnectedness that I think is really beautiful. So one of the things that I started to do, just even learning how to enjoy my own breasts, was it began to move into I could actually then enjoy other women's breasts. I wasn't comparing mm. because I would be able to look and see a, a larger breasted woman and go, oh, and I began to think, I wonder what kind of bra she wears, <laughs> you know, versus it being a comparison thing. Does she love her breasts? Because I knew my own journey and experience and it became a really deep place of trusting God as creator. Wow. Like, what do these breasts actually and then I had a very, a very dear friend of mine that got breast cancer and she had to have both of her breasts removed. And it was just hard work to go through with her because when they removed her breasts, suddenly she said she didn't feel like a woman anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll never forget, we had kids about the same age. I was over at her house. She's getting dressed and she's having a hard time raising her mm. arm up because mm -hmm. of the muscles and the lymph nodes. And so I was helping her get dressed. And she looked at me and she says, I'll never be touched again. Oh. My husband will never touch this part of me again. And I looked at her and I went towards her and I put both my hands where her breasts used to be. And I put her hands on my breast, and I said, I can't give you breasts, but I can share with you. Mm. And um, mm. there was that moment that I knew God had created breasts with purpose, but they're not identity. Yes, mm. yes. And for her, there were often times she would come and she'd say, can I just touch your breast? I need to remember what a breast feels like. And I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah. Because I was sharing humanity with her. And I want to say it was a, that moment was spiritual for me. Yes. It was spiritual. It was sexual. It was sensual. It wasn't sharing one another's bodies, but it was so intimate and it was spiritual. And I went, there was something in me that deepened and I went, oh, sexuality and spirituality are in a world. I couldn't separate out my physical touch from what was going on deep inside my soul. You were experiencing deep connectedness, which is exactly what the Creator wants from us, is connectedness to God, to I was each connected other. to God that's and right. to her in yep. that moment, and that's where... That's amazing. Can I do a Nerdy 30 real quick? Because Bring it this on, is nerdy so 30. important. You just use the word sacred and sacredness quite a lot in that whole mm. story. And if you take apart the word sacred, it really, that's where we get the word sacramental. And a sacrament, if you think about a sacrament in the Catholic Church, it's marriage, it's First Communion, it's Eucharist. In Protestant churches, typically baptism and Eucharist. But a sacrament is an ordinary thing of life meant to express the mysterious beauty of who God is. And so the bread and the wine in the Eucharist is meant to be these ordinary things that express who God is and how to find God. And so the sacramental breast is what you're talking about. And mm -hmm. when we can expand, I think sexuality and spirituality, understanding that, because people hear the word sacred and I think people don't know what to do with that. Like mm -hmm. it's, you, you can't touch something in the sacred. Yeah. Right. It's the opposite. 
something that's sacramental is something that you're meant to touch and hold and feel so that you can understand who you are and who God is. Wow, that's so helpful. Yeah. And we're definitely titling this episode, The Sacramental Breast. <laughs> 100%. I think that story is completely beautiful. Here's the work that I feel like is ahead of me. So if we're going to talk about spirituality and sexuality being intentionally intertwined, for me, they are intertwined, but in the wrong way. And I feel like that wow. has to be detangled first for me, because for me, even 12 years into marriage, there is still some wiring in me that thinks sex is bad. Sex is wrong, mm. morally so, spiritually so. And so I'm curious what you would say, like, how do I begin to deconstruct that so that I can be intentional in my understanding of the ways in which spirituality and sexuality are intertwined? Yeah, because otherwise it's just, well, I should think of it as holy. You know, but like, yeah. how do you, how do you yeah. actually deconstruct that before you reconstruct it? And yeah. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. That story is amazing, by the way. Yeah. Monday's the anniversary of her death. I'm so sorry. Um, wow. What was her name? Joanne. How long ago was it? 2009. It just never goes away. But I want to say it's part of the tove of our relationship. It's amazing how remembering you can be right there and you can feel the scars and But for a long time, I said that wasn't sexual. And I was like, no, it was. Yeah. Because yeah. it was sensual. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, that sacredness piece, mm -hmm. I was literally, was touching the sacred. Absolutely. But I don't think I could have done that if I hadn't done my own work with my own breasts. That's where, again, it's like, we tend to think we experience the full life when we get it perfectly right and end up in the center of the concentric circle. And no, I mean, sure. If that's your story, that's great. You know, and, and, and yay. But so often it's stories like that. It's like you had to go through your own pain. And then when you touch someone else's pain, something sacred occurs, you know, yeah. healing happens somehow. Well, like part of what I take, from that, for me, for you to say what you just said about, but it was sexual. Mm -hmm. The work is to redefine what sexual means yeah. in our minds. Because yeah. all of a sudden it's like, sexual is dirty. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like the first That's flag exactly that right. That's the wiring. But I but know that, think that what you're like, describing is not that. Yeah, it's not that thing, yeah. but it's better. It's If mm -hmm. sexuality is a thing that is intertwined with spirituality, then I just need to change how I understand sexual. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is really important is I think we've been taught that sexual is dirty and everything erotic is wrong. Mm. And even in scripture, there's three different words for love. And one of them actually means eros. Is that, I'm, help, help me there's here. There's four. You there's know, four? Okay, there's four, four. But eros is the, is the flame. Erotic, it's the right? passion. Yeah, the passion. Well, and the very word in Hebrew for man and woman holds the Hebrew letters are the words for fire and God put together mm -hmm. are in both man and woman. 
And so in Hebrew, it says that we are made of fire in God. So I think there's something. Fire can burn, but fire also heats. It warms. It draws. It gives life. It gives life. We need fire, and we need the fire of who we are to connect with other people with God present. Well, and what you described with your friend was the warmth of a needed flame. Oh, my gosh. She needed mm. that. That's what I'm saying. We're crying. She was freezing. She was. And she needed to, the warmth of a flame. Okay, so now the episode is called The Sacramental Breast and the Warmth of a Needed Flame. It's just going to keep <laughs> wow. getting longer because yeah. it's just so good. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like how that feels when you're so cold and then you get in front of something mm-hmm. warm and it's almost like initially a little painful because you're like you're tingling mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you can relax into the warmth and mm-hmm. that's what that is. Well, and you know, part of what we're doing here is like we're saying so much of what we need is embodied not just in our minds. Like think of it like she just needed to talk to someone. Well, sure. And she needed something embodied. And if everything around the body is hidden, naughty, evil to be not talked about, then our definition of what it even means to have anything to be embodied is so hidden and narrow and ambiguous. And, you know, so like, I think that's part of it. Like Mm -hmm. we're expanding sexuality to include that which is centered in the body, but also that which is centered in the soul and mind and spirit as well. And are we expanding it? Are we returning Hmm. to an original design? When I was about maybe in the first year of Reed and I being separated and the divorce was not finalized yet, but one of the things I was really grieving was, you know, when you become a single woman in a Christian community, like people don't touch you. Yeah. And, oh and so but I, I can be touchy with my female friends, but I actually missed like just male, like non-sexual touch. Mm-hmm. Like I missed long hugs. Like the male form has a different feeling to me mm-hmm. than the female form. And I went to a movie with a friend, a guy friend of mine, who's like a brother. And we went and saw, uh, it doesn't matter what we saw. No, it's that movie about water that uh, water Guillermo did. Oh my gosh! No, no, shape the shape of water. Oh, like the shape of water. Which oh is my gosh! Beautiful. That is a beautiful movie. Film. Yeah. And we're sitting there watching, and about ten minutes into the movie starting, past the previews, I realize I have not sat by myself with another man in a theater since my ex-husband, and I start feeling so overwhelmed, and I am so desperate to like have a hand to hold. Because the one thing Reed and I were really great at was just a lot of hand holding. I, I mm. love holding hands. I mean, I hold your hand, Becky, all the time. Um, and I remember just sitting in my longing. And I think my friend is very intuitive. And he reached over, not just like put his hand on top of my hand on my lap, pulled my hand over and tucked it into his chest and like oh. interdigitated the fingers and everything. I was never confused for a moment, like, oh, is he into me? Are we going to start dating? Ooh, maybe we'll kiss. It was not that at all. And he held on tight the entire Mm. film. And we walked out of the movie, and I just put my arm in his arm, because that's something we would do. Like, Mm -hmm. I would do that with a friend or anybody who's, like, familial. And I looked at him, and I said, I want you to know that I know that we're friends. And I want you to know that what you just did for me wasn't confusing for me. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he actually said, you know what I was thinking when I was next to you is honestly, it sounds so cheesy, but it was beautiful. He was like, what would Jesus do? And he's like, Jesus will hold your hand. Mm-hmm. 
And like, I don't think about him in a romantic context, but I needed that tight, interdigitated, sweet, like he even did like the rub your skin a little bit. Like it was mm-hmm. just, it was so, and I know that if I had shared that with too many people, they would be confused by that story. But like, it was like a really healing moment for me. Mm-hmm. Because I was so desperate wow. for, like, male affection that I think it even staved me off from, like, running to go look for it in a really yeah. harmful way to me. Yeah. And, like, I'm just so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is beautiful. And can I ask a question then with yeah. it? If I say that was a sexual touch. It was. Yeah. I know it was. It wasn't sexual in that it drove me to want to have sex with him. Mm-mm. But my body needed your body yeah. needed, and I'm so for what you were saying yeah. earlier about how expanding it and expanding it does it help us to remember mm-hmm. of our deepest, truest design? Because humankind was created, and the very first place they're placed is in Eden, which actually means delight, and they're naked. Mm. How do we start to decouple, what, decouple, deconstruct that everything sexual is dirty. wrong or dirty or something like or that. Or even just inappropriate. Or inappropriate, mm. yeah. And instead start, I think we have to first encounter our own bodies. And we start by actually like, and I tell people all the time, find one thing you like about your body. I don't care if it's your right index finger, fingernail, if that's all you can celebrate that and notice the way it, you know, I mean, just whatever it is, start learning to celebrate. And the more you start to recognize another thing that every single day, it is fascinating to me that you can eat something and the next day, whatever you don't need leaves your body. Hmm. Hmm. That's fascinating to me. So when I'm eating something, are we mindful of what our body actually needs nutritionally. And that's where I think mind, we can't decouple something without having something to start thinking about. Mm. Because if we just decouple and go, it's okay, sex isn't bad. No, there are people who I want to say are actually using sex as a means of survival, using it for abuse, that are using it in a very destructive way. You know, Becky, this reminds me of something that you have told me that from time to time, when you're working with a couple that maybe comes from purity culture and, and, and is engaged, and, and but they're like, they're not touching each other, they're not doing anything, that sometimes you sort of give them a homework assignments and you say like, you need to tell your partner a body part that you like how it looks. Uh, I can do that. You know, and then they do that. Yeah. And the next week, it's like, now your homework assignment is to touch it. And they're like, wait a minute. Like, you know, and you can see them squirming, right? Oh and my stuff. gosh, they yep, squirm like yep, crazy. Yep, yep. But, Butts and bulges. But I think this is like, this is part <laughs> of, and you're talking them through mm-hmm. sexuality and spirituality and all this stuff. But I think that helps decouple this idea that you go from zero to 60, you know, yeah. or 100, 120, mm-hmm. especially purity culture, Christian couples, you can't do anything, then you do everything. No, actually, you can have a progression. And for me, that's very tangible. You know, that's Mm -hmm. that's a very tangible way of understanding. There's a movement to uncoupling. No, it's not bad to think that your partner has a great butt or Mm -hmm. other body parts. And even with consent. Yes. Okay. And sober consent. I love how you say that. Mm. Okay. You know, I like that. I like that movement Mm because it's not... It helps me go from point A to point B to point C to point D as slowly mm-hmm. as I'm comfortable with. 
Well, and I want to say that one of the things that in doing premarital counseling with couples, I find repeatedly, I don't ever want to assume where people are at. Right. So the question I ask first when we get into, we're supposed to have one 60 minute session on sex and it's always ends up being two or three. It just does because there's so many questions and there's so much decoupling that we're doing from what they've actually learned. But the first question I always ask is how comfortable are you with your own body? And have you seen Batman and Robin? (laughs) (laughs) Specifically Robin. Robin Robin really is the one that had the green tights that showed stuff through black. You couldn't see as much. So, and he had a bigger Cape. Well, it's Adam West. He was, yeah, Adam he was West about was 70 awesome. years old you, at the time. It's not all about the oh size. My, okay, okay. So. Yeah, it's not all about the size. Anyway, but there's this element. How comfortable are you with your own body? And then the next question is when people will say, well, I, I'm really comfortable with my body. I think I, you know, I work out and all this stuff like this. How comfortable are you when you're naked yeah, with yeah, your own body? Have yeah. you stood in front of a mirror and seen your body and recognized that the creator created this body with intention with passion beauty. and sees it as utterly delightful. And I think we can't begin the work without having something of the hope of what we hope there's more or curiosity or just knowing that there's someplace we're going. And I think that's vulnerability because it's a risk. We're stepping off into some of the unknown. It's like the classic Indiana Jones when He's supposed to take that leap of faith. And you notice he does take the step in Indiana Jones when he steps across that bridge. The invisible bridge. The invisible bridge. But he grabs gravel and throws it out there. And I think that's part of what this is in the decoupling. Is there something we need to, what's our gravel that we need to throw out there? And I think it has to be the hope of other people's hearts, Mm -hmm. stories, Mm -hmm. and those who have gone before us. Because J. Philip Newell says, we're awakening the ancient truths that have always been there waiting for us to find them. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. Nerdy 30 was composed and produced by Latifa Alatas, and other music from this episode is from the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now... Here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. I do have a working definition for sexual when I experience something sexual. But I want to say my definition started at anything sexual was sex. That's what my definition was. Well, that's sex. Now I want to say, but I'm going to choose to say this is written in pencil and I reserve the right to continue to grow and change. But right now I would define sexual as sensual awareness of my body being present to God, myself, and another. 